How's your money feeling? It's about to feel happier with a certificate from Happy Money's partner, Michigan State University Federal Credit Union. Elevate and increase your savings with 18-month terms and only a $500 minimum. And the happiest part? MSU FCU certificates yield 4.5% APY annual percentage yield. Now that's a happier side of money. Elevate your savings. Go to happymoney.com slash MSUFCU. That's MSUFCU. Funds insured up to $250,000 by NCUA. The APY is accurate as of the 12-1-2023 dividend declaration date. Early withdrawal penalties do apply. Fees may reduce earnings on the account. Any monthly withdrawals or transfers reduce earnings. Welcome to MuggleCast, episode 388. I'm Eric. I'm uh, Micah. And we're joined today by our special Slug Club member, Lottie. Hello, Lottie. Hi, guys. You're joining us for a uh, exciting episode. We are Andrewless at the moment. That's not what makes it exciting, but it's going to be a good uh, episode. We're talking about Chapter 8 of Half-Blood Prince Snape Victorious as well as some news that we've got going on this week. Um, but before we get to all that, please, Lottie, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, in one breath, what's your favorite Harry Potter book, movie, Hogwarts house, Ilvermorny house, Birdie Butt, Every Flavor Bean, and all that. You know the <laughs> All right, yeah. So my favorite book is A Twist Up Between Prisoner of Azkaban and Order of the Phoenix. My favorite movie is Half-Blood Prince. I am a Hufflepuff. I am also a Thunderbird, and my favorite Birdie Bot's flavor is either grass or earthworm. I can't decide. Oh, earthworm. I know. It's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was blown away by – I recently did like a taste test sort of thing of the Birdie Bot's beans, and I was completely shocked at how realistic the earthworm tasted. Not that I've eaten earthworms, <laughs> but it kind of like – same with grass. It tastes like it smells, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, S- and I love the that. smell, so maybe that's why I enjoyed the taste. I don't know. I just noticed that I don't think I've ever had a Birdie Bot's Every Flavor Bean. Mike, We always ask this question on the show, and I, where do you get them? In the Wizarding World? Yeah, for all You the- can get them at Barnes & Noble. Oh, okay. I got some at Five Below. <laughs> five Below? <laughs> yeah, I use them in my classroom as a reward. So you're a teacher? I am. I um, am a special ed teacher. Love it. Love it. So, Micah, for all the times we've been to Honeydukes together, I, I can't believe it. I've never gotten you a bean. I tend to not ever want them either. Like, want to try. The only reason I tried them is because I was doing this whole thing about a taste testing, which is on YouTube, actually. But I think that that really they're just designed to be disgusting. You know, it's it's there. There's no good flavor. Like maybe tutti frutti, but tutti frutti looks a lot like the vomit one. So you got to be really careful. Very true. Oh, so there's no way to really distinguish. Well, You're just kind of rolling the dice. Yeah. They put a legend on the back of each box, each of the little boxes that's supposed to help you. But the coloring is a little bit different in reality than it is on the back of the box. So you really do not know which what you're going to get. Maybe. It's 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 pretty weird. It reminds me of like being boozled, like that game where you have no idea what you're going to get. They have a... Uh, a bean boozler uh, tool for the birdie bots beans do now where you push on it and then a bean like just presents itself. That's 
amazing. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Sounds very Fred and George. <laughs> this is something that should be in their shop where they totally mess around with the uh, display on the back of the box. So you think that you're eating like something really good and it turns out to be something really nasty. It is definitely a, a cruel trick of uh, the world. <laughs> every <laughs> every birdie by beans. A uh, couple of other questions for you here, Lottie. Yeah. Uh, how, how did you first uh, discover Harry Potter? Um, so when I was in second grade, my teacher, Miss Covert, decided to read Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone as a read aloud. It was right after the book had come out. Um, and my family and I were really big in the Catholic Church at that point. Um, and so when I came home, my mom freaked out. Um, but mm-hmm. luckily, when she called my grandpa about it, my cousin had kind of forced my grandpa to read it. And since he was a deacon and he liked it, my mom said I could read it. Oh, wow. And I've been obsessed ever since. <laughs> I I hear that story not not often of uh family members who were religious but actually, you know, took the time uh to read it and they're like, "Oh, you know, this is just any any kind of complaints are just off, mm-hmm. right? It's 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 not a satanic book or an invitation to um not worship God." Right. So it's bless everybody who uh, actually takes the time to read it and kind of clears it for the rest of your family. That's pretty cool for your grandpa. Yeah, I was very grateful. And my cousin still takes credit for the fact that I'm allowed to love Harry Potter. (laughs) Well, well, who's a bigger fan? You or your cousin? Should we have them on? Ooh, you know, that's a toss up. She threw a pretty wicked Harry Potter birthday party for her sister. My uncle dressed up as Voldemort and everything. Um, Okay. I think we might be tied. Your your uncle dressed up as Voldemort? (laughs) He did. He did all of it. The nails, he got rid of his eyebrows. He shaved his beard that he's had for 30 years. It was intense. So your family is just like really intense. Yes, we are. (laughs) That's commitment though, to shave off a beard that you've had for 30 years. Right. It was, I walked into the house and I like did not recognize him. I was like. Where'd your beard go? You've had it my entire life. Wow. Just wow. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, what, uh, and, and then besides your crazy family, what is your most prized Harry Potter possession? Uh, I, okay, this is going to sound really lame, but I've already made myself sound lame, so I'm fine. Um, I have this shirt that I wore when I met Matthew Lewis. Um, It's from when Order of the Phoenix came out. It's got Neville on it, and it says my hero underneath. And um, I met Matthew Lewis back in February, and I wore that shirt. And ever since, I've just kind of had it on display in my house. (laughs) Never wash that shirt. Never. No. no. It will always (laughs) just be on display. Did he comment on the my hero thing? So um, as he was getting ready to come around the table to take a selfie with me, um, he just kind of said, oh, nice shirt. And I was like, oh, my gosh, thank you. (laughs) That's fantastic. Yeah, that's pretty great. Good for you. So we're excited. You also mentioned um, loving the Half-Blood Prince movie and big fan of this uh, chapter that we're going to read, I think. Yes, I'm very excited for this chapter. It's definitely not one that was represented well in the movie. And so I'm glad, excited to talk about it. For sure. Yeah. There's a number of uh, movie differences that are that are pointed out. So Mm -hmm. interested to get your thoughts on on those. Yeah, I'm very excited. Yeah. So before we get to chapter by chapter, we have some uh, news items. It was actually a pretty big news week. There's not as much uh, Fantastic Beasts, Crimes of Grindelwald. Thankfully, we had a reprieve in some of that news. And we just got a good kind of old-fashioned 
Harry Potter in various different directions uh, news coming at us. So since we were talking about Birdie Bot's Every Flavored Beans earlier, I'm actually going to start with the last and like least important news story. <laughs> but there is a new Scratch and Sniff book coming out. If you guys remember Scratch and Sniff books? Yes. Mike, did you ever, you ever have a, a Scratch and Sniff book? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're... I don't remember what it was, but I, I, I definitely had a few yes. back in the day. Same. This one is Honeydukes themed. Uh, and it's the snacks and sweets of the wizarding world. And it's uh, a book that uh, I'm reading a story from from BuzzFeed. Um, but it's it's I don't know. It's designed to be the perfect gift for Harry Potter fans. It's called Honey Dukes, a scratch and sniff adventure. Um, from the cover, it looks like there's Birdie Butts beans and chocolate frogs and. Uh, Tootsie Pops, or not Tootsie Pops, just lollipops. <laughs> I look at lollipops and I think Tootsie Pops. <laughs> but um, I don't know. It's it's kind of the, one of the most interesting or more interesting product products for Harry Potter that are that have come out that have hit the store shelves. I think recently. I think you should buy one and and do a test on the show. Live. <laughs> I agree completely. But speaking of Honeydukes, which is located in Hogsmeade, we actually have some new news. It's the first time in several years we have news. About Hogsmeade. Uh, Hogsmeade, of course, Harry Potter, uh, Wizarding World of Harry Potter, Orlando, uh, the Hogsmeade section in Islands of Adventure at Universal Studios. The We got some new information about the ride, or at least Universal kind of released the first uh, poster that advertises this new Wizarding World ride, which replaces the Dragon Challenge that was there um previously and so we've talked on the show about how the dragon challenge is no longer there um and they're building just this massive andrew and patrick when they were in universal a couple weeks ago said that that just the land that's available for it is massive and they're building a ride but we don't know what well this new poster uh just advertises or teases a magical new adventure with hogwarts in the background they're also two items of note appears to be some kind of castle ish structure um, that's elevated from the treetops of the forbidden forest. And then in the lower right, and I think a couple other places in the poster, there's a Cornish pixie as in from chamber of secrets, Cornish pixie. So what do you guys think of this? So this is a Lockhart themed ride. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) I think it's going to be, Lockhart's uh, a journey to get Lockhart's memory back with loop de loops and uh, yeah yeah I think that's pretty. Are much we it. surprised though that it's a coaster? I thought there was a lot of speculation that it was going to follow in the footsteps of Escape from Gringotts and the um, Forbidden Journey rides. Yeah, you're right. It was. I mean, I think we all thought it would be more of a hodgepodge kind of thing. And Universal has also canceled their annual celebration of Harry Potter. And this is something that has been going on since, I think, 2014. Um, They may have had a year off or not, but they definitely have a year off in 2019, and they canceled it, citing the upcoming ride. Lottie, have you ever been to the Wizarding World? Um, I have not, but I'm going in May, so I'm really hoping this new ride is open by then. Is it early, early May or late May that you're going? I'm going the very last week of May. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed. <laughs> you know, they might do a uh, soft open, even if it's not fully open yet. Very I have true. I have 
I have pretty high hopes for you, actually. Um, so, so yeah, good luck with that. Um, yes. And then <laughs> this was also huge news this week. There's this apparently there's this video game that's coming out. Have you guys all seen the video for this? Yeah. Yep. So, okay. Walk us through it, Micah. What what is this video showing and what is it what is this that 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 leaked exactly? It looks like a new Harry Potter Wizarding World themed game is in the works and a unofficial trailer for it maybe it was being worked on and just the final touches need to be put onto it and somebody leaked it but i actually thought looking at it with no other background information not reading any of the articles to me it seemed almost like a fantastic beast style game and i thought that you were playing as newt though the description that is online would lead you to believe that that may not necessarily be the case, but there's a lot of beasts in there. Yeah. Yeah, there are. It's kind of your character's always in action um, a little bit and, and he's always moving and they're, they're taking care to show. I think I saw those um, moon calves or whatever that are, that are in the uh, Mm -hmm. first fantastic piece film. Very recognizable. Uh, It's those cute little creatures that are eating the, I don't know, floating bubble food that that Jacob, I think, or Newt feeds them. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. But your character is clearly going around kind of like a castle slash forbidden forest area. Um, and there's a troll in there. I think, I, you know, I agree with your take, Micah, that it's more of a Fantastic Beast thing. But alongside this video, which was, um, I think, at least 90 seconds long, and there was music... So I think what happened is maybe it was a trailer that was being worked on, like an official trailer, but it, it somebody ripped it and leaked early. Because um, it's kind of like also at an angle. I think somebody's like taking a video of their screen playing the video. Um, at least that's the impression I got. Alongside this video is a description which I think is even more titillating. So here it is. <clears throat> Set in the 19th century, which is the 1800s, uh, Wizarding World, This third-person open-world action RPG game centers around your character with unique abilities who has earned a late acceptance into Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. You are a newly-arrived fifth-year student to Hogwarts that demonstrates a latent gift for magic with a unique ability to track and identify remnants of a potent ancient power. Upon arrival, strange events begin to materialize in the Forbidden Forest, and trouble begins to brew within the castle walls. Together with Professor Elazar Fig, you embark on a journey through both familiar and never-before-seen locations to bring to light the truth behind these mysterious occurrences. On your quest, you will craft potions, master new spells, and discover fantastical beasts. There you go, Micah. You will battle dark wizards, goblins, and other supernatural enemies and uncover the truth about your destiny. The fate of the wizarding world lies in your hands. So, all of a sudden, you're part of this world. In the fifth year, you come to Hogwarts, a late arrival. What's that all about? They're just finding new ways to... uh tell these stories and and the the fact that it's in the 1800s again is is 
distancing us more from the Potter series. I think it gives them a little bit more flexibility uh, to do the things they may want to do and not run into legal issues or other things like that. Uh, I think it's the same reason why they decided to do the, the Hogwarts mystery game in the 1980s, limited character involvement from the Potter series. So uh, this game, though, the trailer from what I saw uh, looks amazing, and it really is the first Potter video game outside of the Lego games that, that I would want to play. I, I think it, we finally have gotten to a point where they may be making a Potter game that Potter fans are going to really, really enjoy. The fact that it's open world uh, and you know you think Zelda Breath of the Wild and, and what you were able to do in, in that game. So uh, I would very much be looking forward to this if, in fact, the trailer is real. The game is real. The description is real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lottie, what do you what do you think? Um, I don't know. I'm really excited about it. Um, the first couple seconds when they show the character creation, um, it reminded me a lot of Hogwarts Mystery, um, and so that made me a little nervous to start out. But as the trailer went on, it just it looked like it was going to be a really good game. And you're still playing Hogwarts Mystery, right? You and Patrick are the two humans left on Earth who are playing that game. We are the last two. Yes, <laughs> I don't play it as often as he does. It is still one of my oh, I'm in a waiting room. I'm just going to play Hogwarts Mystery, but. I am still playing. Well, where so a lot has happened with that game too. Like they've introduced uh, pets and animaguses. Are you an animagi? Not yet. Um, it is a goal, but I'm not there yet. A goal. Okay. Um, and pets are expensive. Uh, like they are really expensive. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned that though, because I actually asked Andrew to ask Patrick what I can do with these coins uh, <laughs> that that I. <laughs> am accumulating and I have so much quote unquote money, but you can't do anything with it. It, it, you know, I mean, maybe you can buy some new clothing, but really you can't use currency for what it's supposed to be used for. It's just a very weird thing about that game. Cause everything costs gems, right? Not coins. Correct. Yeah. Okay. For the most part. Yes. That that's right. That's real weird. Um, also, uh, listening over on, uh, Patreon, uh, Sarah says that she still plays it. So that's three. We're at three uh, okay. people that still play that game. <laughs> um, and then actually uh, Sam brought up a really good point. Uh, he said Dumbledore was in school in the 1800s. I think <laughs> maybe we're classmates. Can you imagine maybe, yeah. just running into Dumbledore walking through the corridor? Oh, my God. Nose buried in a book like Bell. Um, I feel like. It's so funny because they have to keep going earlier to uh, distance, like you said, Micah, from from Harry Potter, because the the 1990s, you know, Harry Potter is set the 80s uh, Hogwarts mystery, the 20s or 30s for Fantastic Beasts. They have to keep going back in time. This one's in the 1800s for crying out loud, just to make sure that although even in the 20s, the plot is directly feeding into uh, you know, Harry Potter. So I wouldn't be surprised if I wouldn't be surprised if your character's like Dumbledore's dad or mom or something. Um, you know, to be perfectly honest. But yeah, I think I think Dumbledore is such an iconic Harry Potter character 
he will probably show up in some form. I, I just, I would not be surprised. He's the centerpiece. He really is. If you think about all the different spinoffs that have happened, whether it's the Hogwarts mystery, whether it's Fantastic Beasts, he's, he seems to be right there. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And I mean, I, I think um, that even the producers cl- uh, characterized the next film as, you know, understanding Dumbledore and, and how, how the Dumbledore of Harry Potter came to be um, through through Fantastic Beasts. So, yeah, I think that's pretty apt. Um, the other details we have on this game, just wrapping up, uh, is that you can actually, it's one of those games where your choices affect the outcome of the game. Uh, you can actually become one of eight different wizard types, whatever that means. You experience Hogwarts, make new friends, uncover new secrets, and change the fate of the wizarding world. So experience a new magic system that creates countless possibilities to master magic. You can freely explore the wizarding world for the first time, choose your house and your friends at Hogwarts, and decide to pursue a path of good or evil. Create your own witch or wizard and experience an all-new story separate from the books or films. So it really does look like, especially like with with some elements of Hogwarts mystery there, choose your house, choose your character, whether they're a boy or a girl, um, what some of their choices mean. The friends you make sounds particularly uh, like Hogwarts mystery to me. But it's all 3D and you can actually move around. So rather than click you know, an arrow on the screen to go to the other side of the room, you're going to be in a room and you're going to walk to the other side of it. Super exciting. Super high tech. Yeah, like I said, it, it reminds me of of Zelda and and that game was just so much fun to play because growing up, you play these Zelda games and you're so limited in what you could do, where you could go. And if you have that ability with the Wizarding World for it to be open world, that, that's really cool. And I think a lot of people are going to enjoy that. Yeah. Because you can also keep expanding it, you know. Let's say you start in the 1800s, but then they do an expansion pack that takes you into the 1900s, and uh, on and on it goes. So there's a lot of opportunity there. I'm probably just going to do what I do in Hogwarts Mystery, which is like sit in a poofy chair in the Hufflepuff common room and like read. It's going to be great. And our last bit of news, um, besides our obligatory Dancing with the Stars update, is that uh, Lethal White, the new Robert Galbraith book, which just came out three weeks ago, um, is coming to the BBC and will be adapted into uh, a four-part television kind of series. Uh, And this has happened before with all of the Galbraith books. Uh, They've now aired on BBC and BBC America with Holiday Granger as Robin and Tom Burke as Strike. Uh, have you guys seen this uh, adaptation before? I have not. Um, I'm also really behind on reading these books, though. Oh, no. How behind? Oh, <laughs> uh, Like, really behind. Like, I'm still, like, I, ju- I finished the first one and I haven't started the second one yet. But grad school is occupying. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's more important. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> your studies are, are paramount, of course. Yeah. Uh, I have caught a little bit of one of them. Because I think that they also air, is it on Stars or on Cinemax? I forget uh, which have bought the rights. Uh, oh, um, yes, United States is Cinemax, and Canada has it on HBO Canada. Um, Got it. Yeah, I just haven't had the time to sit down and watch it. I actually, have a coworker who 
is asking me on the regular if I've watched it. She's really enjoyed it. So uh, I have to uh, make a point to uh, to check them out uh, and also have to make a point to finish Lethal White before this uh, ends up coming to the BBC. It's actually, I'm about 60 or so pages into the book right now, I would say. And uh, I'm trying to do my best to pay attention to what's happening because I'm sure there are things that are happening in so those first hundred pages or so that are relevant to the rest of the uh, plot, the outcome, and I'm just completely missing all of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's usually how I feel the first half of the book. And then the second half, I'm like, take my hand, Joe, show me all the clues I missed. <laughs> and it's funny, just looking back over at the uh, the Patreon chat, there there are many more people still playing Hogwarts Mystery than I think yeah, initially. Yeah, you know, I'll, I guess I'll do a retraction. Uh, that was a joke from a previous Muggle cast that I was just because uh, like Andrew came out and said that that Patrick was the only one playing left. So I I would play it, but I, I got to admit I'm still in year one, so I'm one of the people who isn't. But plenty of other people are playing that game, and thank you for all speaking out. Actually, it was cool when. The Animagus thing came out, and people in our uh, patrons-only Facebook group uh, were posting pictures of their, their, them in their Animagus forms playing with Fang, like Baby Fang from, because like I guess you go on a play date with Hagrid and Fang, <laughs> if, you, if you're an Animagus. So, and uh, that concludes the news, and uh, onward to our Dancing with the Stars update. Ivana Lynch, of course, who played Luna Lovegoods in the films. For those of you who haven't been paying attention, is on Dancing with the Stars. She and her partner, Kiyo Matsepi, performed a samba dance and received a combined score of 24 this week. That's an 8 from all three judges out of a possible 10, which is not bad at all. They survived uh, Las Vegas and are going to be performing next week. And your vote uh, does count on this, by the way. You're going to get 10 votes uh, next week on Monday at 8, 7 central if you want to watch them dance and vote for them. Mike, I know you caught the first dance. Did you catch the second? I did. Oh. Yeah, I watched last week and I voted last week. So, very nice. You're a proper cool. proper listener there. But uh, I'm wondering how uh how many Harry Potter references they are in fact allowed to do before it just gets old though. Yeah. It is exciting just to see Well, Ivan is clearly working so hard for this. Um and dancing, you know, like learning to dance is not easy. So yeah, it's it's very impressive uh, to watch. So kudos to her, and hopefully she goes all the way to the end. And we're gonna get into Muggle Mail, and then our chapter by chapter. But first, here's a message from Andrew, our fearless leader. Hey everyone, sorry I couldn't make it this week. I had a wedding to attend, so I was out of town for the weekends. But I wanted to jump in to tell you about our sponsor this week, Beachbody on Demand. It is so important to keep yourself healthy in this day and age. We're spending way too much time being stagnant. We're not moving. We're reading our books. We're binging our Netflix. We're playing video games. We're just not moving enough. And with the winter months coming, we're probably moving even less. We just want to stay indoors. Beachbody On Demand is the perfect solution for you if you're looking to get in shape but not have to leave the house. They're an easy-to-use streaming service that gives you instant access to a ton of super effective workouts you can do from the comfort of your living room 24-7. This is the company behind P90X, Insanity, 21 Day Fix, T25, all the big ones. But you don't have to do these big, daunting, big ones. You can just dance. 
Beachbody On Demand has programs for everybody, including dance routines. I love the dance routines. I love UV2. They have uh, some country-themed dance routines. They are all so much fun, and they will get you moving, and they will get you in shape. Beachbody On Demand lets you work out where you want, when you want, thanks to their apps, which are compatible with all your smart devices. I personally use it on an Apple TV, but you can use it on a tablet, on your phone, on your computer, whichever device you have in arm's reach. If you're just getting started with Beachbody, I recommend, like I said, UV2. This is a super fun dance program. I can burn at least 200 calories in a half hour, and I don't even have to leave my living room. It's amazing. And you're going to get results from Beachbody On Demand. My boyfriend and I have been using it for a while now. In fact, my boyfriend exclusively uses Beachbody On Demand, and he's gotten great results because the routines, they constantly change. They're always introducing your body to new challenges. So your body constantly gets in a fantastic workout. Right now, our listeners can get a special free trial membership, including their new 14-day results plan, where you can lose up to 9 pounds in the first two weeks when you text MuggleCast to 303030. You will get full access to this entire platform for free, all the workouts, all the nutrition info, and the results plan to get you super fast results and support totally free. Again, just text MuggleCast to 303030. It's so easy to sign up. Please do it. You will not regret it. Again, text MuggleCast to 303030. Thanks, Andrew. And now on to Muggle Mail. Yeah. We got a message from Arthur Dent. Micah, take it away. Yeah, so this actually ties right into uh, chapter by chapter. We were talking about this last week, and uh, it's about Slughorn's real name. He was not named after Hugh Hefner, uh, even though there was much speculation there. Uh, Arthur did a little bit of digging for us over on Pottermore and, and says that his full name was revealed in short stories from Hogwarts of Power Politics and Pesky Poltergeist. It's Horace Eugene Flaccus Slughorn. J.K. Rowling explains that two of his Christian names come from the Roman poet Quintus Horatius Flaccus, and the surname Slughorn comes from the Gaelic word... Oh, wow. Anybody want to try that? Um, no. Gaelic word... Slughorn. Okay. Which means war cry. So uh, thank you, Arthur, for letting us know that uh, Slughorn does, in fact have a full name uh even though it wasn't revealed in the potter series i think it's brilliant that, like you said though hef h-e-f slughorn hef i i, I, I yeah. thought that was a stroke of brilliance when you mentioned it yeah i like my idea better i definitely laughed in the car <laughs> <laughs> we know jk rowling though i mean double meanings double entendres are her thing it's true we could ask. We could tweet at her. I'm sure she won't respond. <laughs> hey, J.K. But I, I'm not wasting my one, like, get an answer from J.K. Rowling free card uh, on yeah. that question. But still, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so chapter by chapter this week is chapter eight of Half-Blood Prince, Snape Victorious. Lottie, a favorite chapter of yours. And uh, we're going to start it off as we do with every chapter. We're going to do a seven-word summary to describe what happens in this chapter and uh, Lottie you're going to start things off for us and uh, hopefully we do a better <laughs> job than last week um, all right so my word is Harry Eric feels really 
frustrated by Snape's attitude. There we go. Well done. Yeah, if we did it, we it's at least coherent. <laughs> yeah, it's a full sentence. <laughs> Harry feels, what is it? Harry feels real frustrated uh, over Snape's attitude. Yeah. It will make much more sense in the show notes this week. Yes, so yes, I appreciate yes, that. Yes. Yeah, in post. But uh but that's that's a good place to start, I think, anyway, because the relationship between Harry and Snape is is a big deal here. And for a chapter that's so ominously titled as Snape Victorious, going into it, do you guys remember what you were just thinking? Like opening the, the opening the book to this page and, and kind of what am I going to what am I going to even see at this point in the series? I was still very anti Snape. Um, and so I really hated that we were getting another chapter in this book <laughs> that I thought was going to be like dedicated to him. <laughs> it's interesting because now we've had this is maybe the second chapter that has had a little bit more of a Snape focus. We had Spinner's End earlier on and now this chapter. And I, and I think what we're not meant to realize is that you know this book inevitably is about him and it's titled after him and we're starting to get more and more of a focus on him but to your point Lottie we don't get a lot of detail we just see him being this big ass essentially uh through to Harry to Tonks and I'm honestly quite surprised that he was the one that shows up but we can get into that discussion a little bit later one of the things I know that we like to do uh, with Half-Blood Prince in particular is, is connect the threads back to Chamber of Secrets. And much like Chamber of Secrets, uh, Harry encounters Snape after arriving late to school. And what I found funny was that Snape even references uh, the Fort Anglia when they're walking up uh, to the castle, kind of you know sticking it to Harry. Uh, so... Definitely a parallel there. Wow, that that was one that I missed, and when I read it in the in the chapter, I read it in, read it in the notes. I was I was blown away, um, just by how many connections. Like even the ones we've spotted in the first eight chapters of the book between books two and six, it's alarming. Well, it's intentional. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I mean, still, like, how many can she do without it just feeling like, am I reading Chamber of Secrets or what? <laughs> I love that Snape mm. actually referenced it, like that he made that connection <laughs> for us. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So the chapter starts out with with Harry being essentially motionless under his invisibility cloak on the train. And this actually caused me to think, and Lottie, I know you're you're the Half-Blood Prince expert here, so I defer to you if I'm maybe remembering this incorrectly, but it's not the first time that Harry will be motionless under his invisibility cloak. I think there's a, a pretty big scene later on. <laughs> oh, you did not. <laughs> with uh, with Draco also present. <sighs> wow. Is that, is, that's true, right? I'm not making yeah, that Yeah, you're up. right. Yeah, no, that mm-hmm. you're really good at connecting the threads. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying here, you know. Yeah, yeah. It actually ends up being Tonks who finds Harry uh, on the train. And this is much different from the films. It was actually Luna. We spoke about her just before, or the actress that plays her. I, 
I actually really liked that scene in the movie. Mm-hmm. I thought it was it was a good kind of moment between the two of them. They bonded a little bit, kind of really spoke to their friendship in a way. And the other piece of this that really troubles me, I know Tonks obviously is an horror, very well accomplished, but why aren't there bells, whistles, sirens going off all over Hogwarts? I mean, you think about the amount of security that was put in place when Harry goes to Diagon Alley, when Harry goes to Platform 9 and 3 quarters, right? He's got all this protection, and yet he's missing from the school. This should be like code red, like <laughs> like Dumbledore should be on the move, like looking everywhere for him. Yeah, I ju- I just see see this as just being uh, surprising, right? I mean, you think about the amount of security that was put in place just to get him to Hogwarts, and he doesn't get off the train, or he's not up at school. Mm-hmm. There, there should there should be a, a like a full on search going on here. Yeah. Well, and it's it's not even like Dumbledore sent Tonks to go look for him. Tonks just noticed that he hadn't come off the train yet, and so she took it upon herself to go look for well, him. Well, she's looking like she's. She's looking, but she's not sure, or Hermione and them are not sure if Harry is under his cloak, being moody. He did just spend a whole year, you know, kind of at odds with everybody. So maybe he's, you know, just being reclusive, I think, is is the, the goal. As to the lack of security, it's one of those things where it's like, well, he's at Hogwarts now. He's safe. Just this illusion of, you know, the, all that protection was to get him basically onto the train. And now that he's on the train, it's at that weird threshold where all of a sudden, you know, there's a very real possibility he's going to be left behind and gone to go back to London because the the security is kind of kind of just assumed. But you're right, Micah, like he doesn't have a a strict like almost bodyguard like maybe this this is the year that they could probably get away with assigning him a bodyguard Um like a proper, but I mean, Tonks just happens to notice that he didn't get off and that there's a train compartment with the blinds closed. And that's how she just kind of comes in. I'm unclear with how she, like, she just pulls off his cloak and it's just like, I assume you had this on and finds him. I don't know if she's doing what JK Rowling later said Dumbledore's doing and casting like Hominum Revilio and kind of getting an idea that there's a human in there and that's how she finds him. But she, it's it's much different than in the movie, which I know Lottie you said was your favorite movie. So who, who which do you which version of finding Harry under the cloak immobile do you prefer? Um, I like the idea of Tonks finding him because I think she doesn't get enough attention, at least in the movies. But I love the way that Luna finds him. I think that's fun and it speaks a lot to her character. Um. And so I think I prefer the movie with Luna finding him. And in the movie, you get to see the specter vision of like the specter specter specs mm-hmm. of um, it might it might honestly be Nargles that are like pulling around the the body of where of where Harry's laying, which I just there's like those little dust particles that are like kind of just swarming yeah. uh, where Harry is. So I think that that's a really cute kind of way of showing showing things up. But I mean, the conversation that Harry and Tonks have is really like important, but also completely, it it just serves 
book points. It, it, it helps Harry kind of wonder again what is up with her, and you kind of get a little bit of uh, an update on what's going on with Tonks. But for me, oh, and, and, and she, they talk about security. Like, they talk about the auras that are assigned to Hogsmeade, um, which we'll talk about in just a moment. My question is, when Tonks and Harry jump off the train, the train is in motion, and this whole time, you know, Draco kicks Harry in the face and says, enjoy your journey back to London. Um, where did, where exactly does the Hogwarts Express have to be that it's in such a damn hurry to get there? Maybe it's just magic. Uh, it needs to go back. It was you like, think she'd also be able to stop the train. If she's going in to search it, oh, she could yeah. just tell the conductor that she needs a couple minutes because she's looking for Harry. I mean, she's an R for crying out loud. You're right. It's like more they, dramatic they... though, and and that's why this this is almost a movie scene, right? Jumping yeah. from the train onto the platform before the before it kind of goes back to London. I think more than anything else, it sounds like something that would be well adapted to screen. I don't really <laughs> see the see the point of it in in the book. Justin Sharkey says uh, the conductor has to go back to their family. Duh. <laughs> But Hogsmeade is a wizarding village, duh. So why can't his family just live there? I don't know. You mentioned earlier, though, the the increased security measures, that there are other ores that are present in Hogsmeade. We learn about a few of them. Uh, Dawlish, we already know. Name is very familiar to us. But uh, two others that stood out to me were Proudfoot and Savage. <laughs> I don't even remember hearing these names ever and so this was a, a bit of a surprise to me, but uh, when you look at all the different uh, security measures that have been put in place, I'm assuming by the Ministry and by Dumbledore, Hogwarts is much different than what we're accustomed to seeing. Dumbledore has secured the gates with his own magic, and there's been these anti-intruder jinxes that have been put in place. So it's very much like a prison as opposed to a school. Yeah. Yeah. You're always going to kind of blur the lines as far as that goes if you want. You know, Hogwarts is Hogwarts is a target no matter what, so those lines are going to be blurred. But you can't even scale the wall. Harry's like, Harry and Tonks get to the gate. He's like, I can climb this. And she's like, no, you can't. <laughs> I just had to laugh. Because um, he, you know, he tries to love more. It doesn't work. It just um, it does it does signal the increased security. The fact that Dawlish is one of the three R's or four R's that's guarding Hogsmeade, and Harry even brings up wasn't that the the R that Dumbledore got the best of last year? Um, like it kind of raises some concerns over safety. There's always that there you're only as strong as the weakest link, and that and that there's always that like kink in the plan. I think us as readers are supposed to be like, well. Hogsmeade isn't as safe as it could be um, sure. if this guy's there. So there's still like an air of doubt, which I think is really clever from a writing standpoint. Um, that that something still could go wrong in Hogsmeade because it's not like, and we don't even know Proudfoot and Savage. So it's basically like, well, there's still room for, for, for error, error there. Yeah. yeah. And I think the other piece that I just thought of as we were talking about security is – it's not all that dissimilar from Deathly Hallows. It's just the, a different group that has taken over Hogwarts and is posted up there. Thinking about 
when Harry and company end up showing up at Hogsmeade, the Death Eaters that are there, you know, Snape and, and different security measures that have been put in place. So I almost wonder, is this a bit of a precursor to what's to come in the next book? Probably. I mean, I, I think, too, what, what really grinds my gears is that Snape knows the, the magic that Dumbledore's put on the gates um, because he's the one who unlocks the gates. And he does it non-verbally and just kind of shuts the gates in Tonks's face when when he kind of comes to to take possession of Harry. So this is it's just sort of garbage because here's this horrible person um, but Tonks is, you know, great. She's going through some stuff right now, but they have a nice conversation and it's just kind of, I'll take it from here and also going to insult you and then close the gates on you. Nobody knows how he does it because he's doing it non-verbally. Snape is such a damn show off in this, in this scene and he's not the headmaster, but he's been given the keys. Like he knows, he knows enough about how the gates are reinforced to unlock them right now and then relock them. So it's just kind of. It just kind of pissed me off. Let's talk about Snape. Of course, he's the one who shows up to retrieve Harry and bring him to the castle. Who else would make sense besides him? Though it seemed as if, based on what Tonk said, that he intercepted her message. Yeah. How does that work? I was wondering that, too, because she sent the Patronus with the intention of Haggard getting it. So, like, did... Snape just step in front of it and be like, what's your message? <laughs> well, furthermore, she sent it while talking to Harry, which is kind of cool. I we've We know precious little about using a Patronus as a messenger. We see it with Kingsley Shacklebolt does it. Um, we see it maybe one or two other times. But here we actually watch Tonks cast it. Um, she just sends she sends the message ahead while her and Harry are on their long walk. And she doesn't you know, like she doesn't speak the message that she wants to say out loud, like you would kind of think she would. Um, So I don't know if it's part of the thought process that you cast or that you like, because in order to cast a regular Patronus, you have to think of a happy thought. So I wonder if she's thinking of a happy thought and uh, the message that she wants it to carry, like how exactly you compose a messenger Patronus is, is kind of fascinating because Tonks does it without speaking. And I think that the first time we see it is in Goblet of Fire when they find Barty Crouch Sr. Yes. Hagrid sends it. No. Really? Uh, we should check that. Yeah, I'll, I'll actually I'll do a quick search. But I'm pretty sure that it's not explicit. We don't know what it is necessarily, but communicating via your Patronus it becomes something that we see more and more uh, as the series goes on. It's actually very smart. Um, you know what? You're right. It's But it's Dumbledore to Hagrid. Uh, this is from the HP lexicon. It's under, it's called Messenger Spell. It was invented by Albus Dumbledore as a way to communicate with Order of the Phoenix members. It says, in Goblet of Fire chapter 28, Dumbledore sent a message to Hagrid using this spell. He simply pointed his wand in the direction of Hagrid's cabin and sent the messenger without saying a word. Hagrid came directly to Dumbledore, which suggests that it's possible to retrace the messenger's path. But unless it was actually told him, Hagrid, come to my office, you know, kind of thing. So, weird. And the very next time we see it is Tonks sending it 
uh, and it getting intercepted by Snape in this chapter. So, And there's also huh. a reference there to the fact that Tonks has changed her Patronus. Yeah, which is, which is a important. clue. Yeah, it, it definitely furthers the whole character arc. Is Tonks depressed because of Sirius's death um, or not? Do we know what it had been? Uh-huh. I can't remember. It was a jackrabbit. Okay. Um, originally. And it becomes a wolf? Yeah, it becomes basically Lupin. Um, but Snape says he preferred the old one and that the new one looks weak, which is a huge... It just Snape is all about the old rivalry that he had with Sirius, with Remus, and he never just forgets about it, never doesn't take an opportunity to just like snidely just trash any one of the marauders. And I think he probably has insight into how Tonks is feeling that, 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 that Snape of all people whose Patronus is changed now permanently because of who he loved probably has unique insight that that's why her Patronus has changed. So he kind of knows what it signifies and still insults her to like, her face, and then closes the gates on her. Yeah, so it's just he a certainly jackass. knows how to carry a grudge. Yeah, yeah, but then on the other hand, so does Harry. I mean, Harry sees Snape coming. He's livid after after all that he's you know gone through. Harry goes through these motions here, where they're walking up to the castle, and um, J.K. Rowling writes that Harry over the summer decided that it was Snape that he's going to blame most for for Sirius's, um, you know, sort of situation. The fact that Sirius went to the ministry and died. He's going to lay pretty much at the feet. Like, he has, he has some to blame, but he said it was Snape's taunts of Sirius throughout the year, last year, of being cooped up and not not contributing to the Order of the Phoenix that ultimately led Sirius to go to the ministry. And I think that that there's some truth to that. But so Harry is kind of caught up on over the summer when he had all this time to think he's just decided he absolutely more than ever loathes professor Snape. Hmm. Do you think Snape can read this and see what's going on inside of his mind? I don't know. It's weird, dude, because there's this moment where he's like, Harry isn't, doesn't even say like Harry, like, wished that Snape could feel the heat of anger. He like basically boils up thinking how much he hates Snape and like glares at Snape so that Snape feels the heat intensity. It's a very weird line. Um, Mm -hmm. Let me try and find it. But But, yeah, he is just on cloud nine at this point. You got to imagine he knows that he's going to be taking over defense against the dark arts, which is Harry's favorite class. He gets to go pick Harry up for being late. He's throwing shots at him all the way up as they walk to the castle. And he knows that Harry is probably trying to do his best to keep his cool. And this is just everything he could want. You know, all, all, all in an evening, right? And it's just, I find it extremely inappropriate behavior for a professor. Uh and we can talk a little bit about that. We know the backstory with Snape and understand why he may feel the way that he does. Uh, 
But at some point, you have to be an adult. And I don't think that he acts much like an adult. I think Harry acts like a kid many times, but Snape should know better. And the way he treats Tonks and the way he treats Harry is is not how a professor should behave. Lottie, what do you think? Um, I definitely agree. I think you can tell that he's loving every second of it. I mean, he makes quite a few little sassy comments to Harry. Um, and when he's like taking points from Gryffindor because of Harry being late and having muggle clothes and things, you can tell he's loving it. I wish I could talk to some of my students the way Snape talks to Harry, <laughs> but there's just no way. What do you have? Do you have? I mean, I guess teenagers are assholes, but do you, do you have students that you wish you could tell that they are? Sh- you you just tell them to their face that they're show offs who only want attention. Oh yes. <laughs> oh, God. They're. I mean, you know, they're teenagers. They want to be the center of attention, and so they act up. But. It's completely inappropriate and unprofessional for me to say something like that. So I, of course, never would. Um, but Snape doesn't care. Snape's yeah. like, I'm just going to say it. Yeah. The The interesting thing that I thought of while reading this is it's obviously very horrible. Snape's a dick. Um, but if I think if Harry, Harry spent the book up to this point, or at least since his trip to Diagon Alley, trying to convince his closest friends that Draco is a Death Eater. He's got it all figured out. We've talked about this before, how Harry has all, like, literally, like, by the start of term, by this chapter, he has most of the puzzle pieces figured out for the rest of the plot of the entire year at school. And what occurred to me is, you know, Snape is also somebody who knows what's going on. We know from Spinner's End that he knows exactly what Voldemort has told Draco to do, which is even more than Harry knows. And he knows that Draco is in fact a Death Eater and has sworn to protect him. If Harry could get over his, you know, I know and it's a big if because it's a prejudice that these characters share and Snoke is, Snape is just stoking the flames. But if Harry confided in Snape, which is the weirdly on this, on this trip up the, the stairs, to the castle said, Sir, I think Draco Malfoy is a Death Eater now. What would that do? I I think it would like completely change the game, completely change the game that Harry knew because Snape, as a member of the Order of the Phoenix, like Harry would be saying, I'm respecting the fact that you're in the Order of the Phoenix and I'm going to tell you my suspicions. Like more than Arthur Weasley, more than Harry or more than Ron and Hermione, it would make sense kind of in a way for him to tell Snape, especially the head of Draco's house. What do you guys think? I think Harry is still, I mean, he knows that Snape's a member of the Order of the Phoenix, but he still questions that. Like, he still doesn't trust Snape. And so it would change everything if he were to tell Snape, but I don't think that that's something that he would ever do. I don't think he trusts him enough, to your point, to confide that information in him. It seems like something he would be more willing to share with McGonagall or Dumbledore than mm-hmm. he would with Snape. Though I think it may put Snape a little bit more on edge if he knew this early on that Harry suspected this. But there's clearly a larger plan that's taking place behind the scenes between Snape and Dumbledore. So I don't know that it would ultimately do anything to affect 
the outcome unless, like I said last week, Harry goes up to Draco and reveals this in front of a number of his classmates, which would obviously cause a much larger issue. It just, you know what it reminded me of was actually Cursed Child. Lottie, have you seen The Cursed Child, by the way? No, I've read it like three times, but I haven't seen it. They're, when they confront Snape in the alternate universe, um, I think it might be Scorpius uh, that does it, um, and just talks about, you know, obviously they, they bring the foreknowledge of what Snape's whole deal was to him, but he immediately kind of breaks and becomes nicer and kind of, you know, sheds the illusion. I think maybe I'm just envisioning that being what Snape would have done here. Um I don't know. It's just kind of like it's time to get serious. If 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 Harry says Draco is a Death Eater right now, and I've, I'm suspecting this already, and here's what Snape has a dual obligation: one with the unbreakable vow to protect Draco, um, but he, in order to do that, he might have to get real with Harry and be like, "Yeah, but let let me take you to Dumbledore, and we'll explain this a little bit more." I don't know. It might have been a little bit more forthcoming a little bit um, sooner, but that was just a thought that I happen to have. I did find the um, the quick reference of of Harry sending waves of hatred. The quote is, Snape did not speak for a minute or so. Harry felt as though his body was generating waves of hatred so powerful that it seemed incredible that Snape could not feel them burning him. So, yeah, just kind of a weird way Very of putting intense, that. Very intense, yeah. Yeah. Well, we end up uh, making it to the feast, albeit a bit late. And uh, Dumbledore is giving his speech. We've missed the Sorting Hat. Oh. Which do we miss the Sorting Hat in Chamber of Secrets? <laughs> um, I figure I'll yeah. throw that out there. Yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah, because they they're flying in the car and they crash and mm-hmm. um, are immediately put in to Snape's dungeon. Mm. What a surprise! <laughs> <laughs> is it, Micah? Are you surprised? No, I'm not. Uh, But I will give the Cliff Notes version of Dumbledore's speech. We find out that Slughorn... Slughorn? (laughs) Actually, let me redo that. We find out that Hef will uh, resume his post as Potions Master and that Snape will take over Defense Against the Dark Arts. Cue gasp. No! I love how Harry in the book is just like, no! (laughs) It's just... (laughs) He just yells it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought it was uh, interesting that Harry notes that nobody lasts more than a year in this position. So did we as readers make the connection in terms of what this meant for Snape? I'm, it's kind of open-ended. I mean, it's not open-ended, but it is kind of open. Like Ron suggests right away that maybe he'll just go back to teaching potions next year. Um, so there's kind of like J.K. Rowling's writing herself an out. It is weird that that Harry ruminates on it and and directly points it out, though, because he's like, well, here's a silver lining. Maybe Snape will die. I'm rooting for death. He literally says this. (laughs) The question of Um, did we remember this is always so hard because I don't remember when I first read the book if I thought to myself, oh, well, if Snape is in this position, then he's definitely not coming back in. Deathly Hallows, or he's going to have a much different role than what would be expected. If you just look at the history of this position and all the professors that have come before, 
But I think that was Dumbledore's way of of setting Snape up. Do you? Uh, yeah. Agree. Yeah, probably. I mean, he ends up. Snape gets a promotion. You know, <laughs> to, to, to headmaster. He gets he gets Dumbledore's job. It is it is ominous, but I think it works in this book as like a. Um, she's actually using this weird cra- this thing that seemed like weird crazy happenstance to inform this and kind of embed this uh sense of looming unease and like uh um what's the word like it it's it's kind of, we we get nervous um as the book like is is heading towards its conclusion because it's it's foreboding that it's foreshadowing that something is going to happen no matter like no matter what there will be a shakeup and we are probably with Harry on the side of kind of hoping for death like Coral for Snape, but we just don't know. I think it's just the reason she points it out is because after this book, J.K. Rowling could no longer play that card of, you know, the defense against the dark arts teacher is going to change at the end of every year. So she really like waited until now to overtly point it out. We know we get the full explanation later in the book, which is really satisfying, but it's just now it's just used as a plot device to make us dread the end of the year for all of its uncertainty. Right. And you'd mentioned about Ron. He makes a comment about Slughorn. Maybe he won't want to stay longer than a year and also references the fact that Moody didn't, but is he not aware of, of what actually transpired here with Barty Crouch Jr.? So I was wondering that too, because I was like, Moody was held captive for his entire term. So like, of course he didn't stick around. But then I was like, wait, do, do Ron and Hermione know that? I This is such an interesting question that I did not expect. But reading it, I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of worried. Yeah, because it, it was never Moody. I mean, the saying Moody didn't want to stick around after teaching for a year is kind of incorrect because he didn't teach for a year. Um, Moody was appointed to the position, subsequently imprisoned for a year, and then just decided not to do the job that he was originally going to do. I don't know. It's yeah. It you know that's the one that J.K. Rowling could have gotten away with having real Moody for a year. Um, you know, real Moody could have taught for a year before something went wrong, and it wouldn't have broken the curse because he was never teaching in year four. You know, right. And I think we just take for granted the fact that Ron and Hermione know everything that Harry does. But this would be an interesting question to pose to J.K. Rowling as to whether or not they knew that Moody wasn't, in fact, Moody. I thought it it wasn't public knowledge, of course, what happened, what transpired. But you would think there would be some people who would be in the know in the inner circle. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I th- It's definitely a titillating, like, because the language is just vague enough, you're not sure. Yeah. And then the last piece of information we get from Dumbledore is that Voldemort's back. If you see something, say something, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> he's he's just kind of so calm and, and, you know, it's just kind of matter of fact the way that he talks about it. But uh, clearly we get the sense from all the security measures that have been put in place that this is a very, very serious situation at Hogwarts. And he he has a way of um, bringing it home. He has a way of really just kind of he implores each and every student to just not get out of bed and wander the castle after hours. And I think that's true. Like 
a lot of um, security issues stem from people's own carelessness. Like, and and he has a. It's not really a threat, but when he says, um, you know, just as an FYI, carelessness will no longer be as will no longer be as tolerant of carelessness. He's talking about things like what Neville did and leaving a list of passwords around for Sirius Black to find, which we know isn't exactly what happened. Uh, Sirius persuaded Crookshanks to steal the list. But, you know, the carelessness that Hogwarts has seen is just, it's just not going to be tolerated. And so there will be more of a punitive kind of, there's there's something in, in Dumbledore's statement, which is, you know, bolder, I guess, in a way. But it, but it has to be, because they they just can't, at this point, take any chances. Right. And that's all he's saying, really, is that we just can't take chances this year. Mm-hmm. Harry also lets Ron know exactly what happened on the train with Malfoy. And Ron is still refusing to believe the fact that Malfoy could, in fact, be a Death Eater. <sighs> Poor Ron. Poor, ignorant Ron. <laughs> and, Eric, I know you said this is a reoccurring theme throughout this book, and it gets very frustrating. It does, but um, I think it, it, it happens at least differently enough or different enough situations. What's the reason in this chapter? Just that he th- Ron thinks, oh, he was clearly showing off for Pansy Parkinson because she was in the room. Um, I, d- I don't even know what it is that's going through Ron's head at this point. Um, but yeah, it's just it's a no-win situation for for Harry. He should have confided in Snape. That's what I'm saying. This time almost seems, though, like Ron doesn't want to believe it. It's not that he doesn't necessarily believe it, but he doesn't want to believe it. He's going to come up with any excuse as to why it can't be true. Yeah, that's true. I mean, this is basically a tipping point because this is Harry who actually witnessed, you know, this scene playing out. And it's and came back covered in blood for crying out loud. Like when they see Harry you know, beaten up and they don't know what's going on. And Harry has imagination. He imagines talking about death eaters attacking or whatever. Like Draco would, wouldn't have needed to overreact if it weren't something that he was covering up. You know, I don't know. Draco's that's the actions of a guilty dude. And Ron's just like, no, he's just angry from what happened last year. Ugh. So but I don't know. So to wrap up the chapter, Harry runs into Hagrid before uh, making his way up to the dorms. And uh, we find out that Hagrid was a little bit late because he was uh, hanging out with Grop in his new mountain home. Yeah. Here's an interesting tidbit about that. Um, Dumbledore actually made the accommodations. Dumbledore is a uh, headmaster of Hogwarts. He's supreme mugwump of the Wizengamo and also realtor, apparently. Good real estate agent. He knows all the... All the hot spots north of Hogsmeade, uh, in the in the high in the mountains. I couldn't help but uh, think that this may play in in a way to the Fantastic Beasts series. The J.K. Rowling has established now that there is a cave. We know about the cave in Hogsmeade, uh, where Sirius hangs out in Goblet of Fire, and I think Buckbeak lives there with Hagrid for a time during Book Five. That's a different cave. This is somewhere up in the mountains now. Um, And I just, I'm like, J.K. Rowling snuck in this new existing place that we, I don't think we get to see in this book. Um, 
it probably now that that's been established, why wouldn't she reuse it? So there's a reason that Dumbledore knows there's some cave that's big enough to fit a giant in it, which how many caves do you know of that are big enough to fit a giant? An enclosed space is not probably a good idea for a giant, but Dumbledore totally set it up. So how does he know about this cave? Where does it come from? So now I'm, you know, being in the position, the unique position in which we are now, reading this book deeply and looking forward to four Fantastic Beasts prequels, I'm thinking, okay, this cave is definitely going to come into play in the next couple movies. I like that idea a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely a, a possibility. And the last piece of information that we find out about, it's a little sad, but... uh Hagrid mentions uh, seeing Harry and Ron in class, and it turns out that they're not going to be taking care of magical creatures, and Hermione probably is not going to be doing that class as well, at least from the sound of things. So it's pretty, uh, pretty sad for Hagrid, I think. He enjoys having them in class. He enjoys, he enjoys teaching. But uh, we know he's not the best teacher. So that chapter kind of closed a little bit of a sour note. Well, and I was wondering, did Harry, like, or did Hagrid not get a class list? Like, did the professors at Hogwarts not know who are going to be in their classes? (laughs) Like, I mean, I get mine in, like, the middle of the summer. Like, did he not know that (laughs) Harry and Ron weren't going to be there? (laughs) Yeah, he just assumed... Maybe he can't read. That's possible. Well, I don't know. I guess that's harsh, but I, I, you're right. I mean, these are people who Hogwarts has their names down from the second they're born on a on a scroll somewhere. Uh, you would think they'd be able to keep track of who's taking what subject. Um, but it's just this is sad, and I don't think it's resolved right away. I think Hagrid, like, it might not be until Aragog dies that Hagrid. Is just like, you haven't seen me all year. What the hell, dude? Um, And then he talks about how he was sad when he first found out that they weren't taking his class. But it's a missed opportunity for Harry and Ron to kind of get in front of it and be like, oh, you know, what's going on? But it's just in a moment, it's just something they weren't counting on, really. It's, It's seeing Hagrid, you know, they didn't kind of all realize, it's certainly not malicious. They didn't all realize that they aren't all taking his class or all aren't taking his class Mm -hmm. so yeah i don't know all right well i think that wraps up uh chapter eight of half-blood prince snape victorious and uh now it's time to pick our mvps of the week yeah and i gave mine to dumbledore because he just completely upset the apple cart by letting slughorn take over potions and Snape (laughs) defense against the dark arts. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. This is a big, big shakeup. But like they say in the chapter, they wouldn't have just given Slughorn, you know, defense against the dark arts. He's a potions master. I don't know. For me, I gave it to Tonks uh, because it's still, I don't know. There's some, some kind of stick to itiveness, some kind of, She's really doing her job. I mean, where are Proudfoot and Savage, you guys, right? They're not searching <laughs> compartments for Harry Potter. Where's Dollish? Yeah, where's Dollish? Exactly. It's Tonks who finds Harry in the book. So good for her. 
and um, even under invisibility cloak too. So yeah, just good for her. I gave mine to nearly headless Nick. Um, I know we didn't really talk about it, but um, while they're at the feast, um, Nick kind of comes over and it's just like, Hey, I'm the Potter authority among the ghosts. I want the real information to give out. And so he's not, he's not making things up and he's trying to make sure things are accurate. I like it. Yeah. That he's the, uh, the Potter authority as you, uh, as you mentioned amongst the ghosts. <laughs> yeah. I, I like that moment too. And, um, when Ron spoils his uh, good uh, <laughs> his good convo with Harry, and Nick says yeah. to him, "You have all the, the sensitivity of a blunt axe." <laughs> it's like you, he would know. He felt his head being chopped up by a blunt axe. <laughs> oh God! Oh God! And God. let's rename the chapter. I went with Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Chapter 8, Nice Patronus. <laughs> I went with Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Chapter 8, Nearly Headless and Nosy. And I went with Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Chapter 8, Sassy Snape. I like the alliteration from both of you. Yeah, thanks. Sorry, right, well we, done. We, well done. We try. We try. <laughs> so that wraps up uh chapter eight definitely uh for those listening let us know what you thought did we miss anything you can email us mugglecast at gmail.com or tweet at us at mugglecast and uh definitely uh let us know too what your thoughts are as they relate to chapter nine which we'll be discussing next week and speaking of twitter eric that is where you host your Quizich game every single week. It certainly is, Micah, except when we're not doing a chapter. And I say, we're not doing a chapter, so we're not doing Quizich. Um, Quizich is back. We are uh, answering last week's Quizich question, which was as follows. Who comes to Harry's rescue when he finds himself locked out of Hogwarts? And it's a very I don't know how to say this other than it was a specific question. I was looking for a specific answer. When Harry finds himself locked out of Hogwarts, Snape is the one who comes to his rescue. But as it was pointed out um, by Lizzie, Snape comes to get Harry. But is that really a rescue? I'm going to say it's a figure of speech. So that's uh, it. A lot of people send in Tonks. Tonks does actually come to Harry's rescue, but that's when he's stuck, you know, petrified and on the train. So specifically, who comes to get Harry at the gates? The answer is Snape. The winners for it, uh, for that question, are... So, Andrea, Lizzie, and Paul were the ones who got the uh, correct answers on that. Um, so, what are you going to do? Uh, next week's question here, I'll be as vi- I'll be as broad as possible. Uh, what is Snape's first Defense Against the Dark Arts lesson about or regarding? Hopefully more people can win that one. Yeah, I didn't hear anything from Count Ravioli. Yeah, Count Ravioli... Your favorite person, Micah, has disappeared. Come back. Where in the world is Count Ravioli? (laughs) Launch a TV series with a catchy tune. Maybe he's on vacation. Maybe. All right. Well, I think that wraps up this week's episode. Yes, it does. Um, As a reminder to all of our listeners, we have a new chapter-by-chapter archive page where you can find all of the episodes of MuggleCast in which we discuss a chapter of the books, including all of our recent 
Half-Blood Prince uh, episodes. We did take a couple of weeks here and there to talk about the new movie developments, which is very exciting. But we plan on continuing Half-Blood Prince. And uh, check that out on our MuggleCast website at MuggleCast.com. We also recently did an, a Half-Blood Prince movie commentary uh, track, which was just a couple episodes ago. I think it was 385 uh, was the commentary for the Help of Prince movie. So we did all watch it. It is all fresh on our minds. And you can basically turn on that podcast while you're watching the movie and sync it up and listen to our thoughts during the whole thing, which is always pretty fun. And send us your thoughts for Chapter 9 of Half-Blood Prince, which is called uh, The Half-Blood Prince. It's that, uh, that what's the word, titular. The titular, uh, or... or um, there's another word for it. Oh, well, I'll, I'll forget. It starts with NIM, N-Y-M, because of the name. But uh, anyway, definitely send us your thoughts on that to uh, any one of our uh, various outlets, including our email, mugglecast at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail. I'd love to start playing voicemails again on this show. one nine two zero three muggle That's one nine two zero three muggle And also we have a P.O. Box. Uh, as the holidays uh, come in, we always have our listeners who send us lovely kind of holiday cards. Um, so we'll just pimp our address one more time. 4044 North Lincoln Avenue, Box 144 in Chicago, IL 60618. Lottie, we want to thank you for joining us on this week's episode. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. This was fun. You got to tell us what you think of the park when you do get there. Oh, I will. I'm very excited. Hope that new ride. Yeah, hope that new ride is happening. Um, and yeah, that's that's all we got. Thanks everyone for listening. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Lottie. Bye everybody. See you next time for episode 389. How's your money feeling? It's about to feel happier with a certificate from Happy Money's partner, Michigan State University Federal Credit Union. Elevate and increase your savings with 18-month terms and only a $500 minimum. And the happiest part? MSU FCU certificates yield 4.5% APY annual percentage yield. Now that's a happier side of money. Elevate your savings. Go to happymoney.com slash MSUFCU. That's MSUFCU. Funds insured up to 250000 by NCUA. The APY is accurate as of the 12-1-2023 dividend declaration date. Early withdrawal penalties do apply. Fees may reduce earnings on the account. Any monthly withdrawals or transfers reduce earnings. We made USAA insurance to help you save. Take advantage of discounts when you cover your home and your ride. Discover how we're helping members save at USAA.com slash bundle. Restrictions apply.